Welcome to episode 13 of the 18th Shadow Radio. This is your author and narrator, John Lee Grafton. The 18th Shadow, Phase 2, Voices in the Stream, Chapter 2.2, The Courtesans. The Lawrence Journal World, Sunday Edition, Editorial Hollow Page 2, February 25th, 2080. Ten Cent Answers, featuring Sheriff Dale Proudstar, by Martin Ringle, LJW. This section of our report on the legendary Darkpool Labs coyotes features quotes from my personal interview with Douglas County Sheriff Dale Proudstar. Sheriff Proudstar responded to the following questions. 1. Where did the coyote come from? 2. What progress has been made in capturing the fugitive arsonist and alcohol addict, Tara Dean? Regarding question one, Sheriff Proudstar is quoted. Um, the origin of the deactivated coyotes is not known. There were numerous heavy board prints in the soil surrounding the crash site, but only a single set of prints left the scene. A tracking drone lost this trail approximately six kilometers away on the banks of the Wakarusa, near the confluence where it joins the Kaw. The coyote chassis itself has been shipped to Cambridge, Massachusetts, where it's being analyzed by FCC scientists at MIT. End quote. Regarding question two, Sheriff Proudstar is again quoted. As for fugitive Tardine, despite rumors circulating on Ping Me, we have no confirmed surveillance of this individual on the streets of downtown Lawrence. She is not, I repeat, not believed to be in the area any longer. Speaking to associated rumors of malfunctioning drones and city facial recognition systems, I know that you, Martin, ordered breakfast at the Rowdy Pony Coffee House this morning at 7.34 a.m. You paid with a Lawrence Credit Union MasterCard scan from your holotab, had an almond milk latte, a blueberry muffin, and two strips of extra crispy synth bacon. Now you got any more questions about the efficacy of my tech, or can we end this circus early so I can get back to work? There you have it, folks, straight from the sheriff's mouth. Look for more updates in the days to come. And as always, thank you for reading the journal world. Today's 10 Cent Answers, sponsored by PingMe. February 2080, two years, eight months before event. No infinite sky awaited the opening of her eyes. She had hoped for Skye, but expected to be strapped to a hospital bed, once more relegated to counting white dots on lime-green ceiling panels. There had been a single window in that room where she was held. The window could not be opened. It had provided an epic vista of the hospital docking lot. Beyond that, a hemp field turned fallow for winter. So it was that Tardine's gaze came to favor the blue of the sky above. When she was confined to bed, all she had was the blue of the sky. Though when that sky was not filled with passing clouds, it brought no more joy than might a cobalt rectangle painted on a wall. Once in those thirty days of isolation, a carbon dioxide scrubber had slid by the window like a fat ant dangling its abnormally long legs through an azure pool, gone as fast as it had come. At night, the window brought only darkness tinged with the yellow LED blush of the docking lot lamps. Sometimes, the black, bulbous form of a greystone security drone would float past. The drones were orbiting legless ticks, 
She had found them as ominous and stupid as she found the winter landscape stern and austere. With such memories fresh in her mind, Tara was forced to blink several times before she could accept the reality of her new surroundings. Instead of hospital LEDs, blazing natural sunlight poured in from three separate windows. At first, the light made her temples quiver with pain. She was in bed, in a bedroom. She slowly sat up. The fingers of her right hand were healed, though an adaptive compression wrap still supported her arm from the elbow down. Someone must have welded me up with nanotech. She flexed her fingers and carefully rotated her wrist. The muscles were sore, joints creaking and popping like she was an old homeless lady wandering the windy viaducts of New Riverside. But everything worked. Someone had also dressed her in yellow pajamas, with bunnies on them. Did I just wake up in hell? Where are my damn clothes? One of the windows was cracked, allowing in refreshing gusts of chilly winter air. She closed her eyes and breathed deeply through her nose. Directly outside the windows, the leafless branches of an enormous tree were silhouetted against the muted backdrop of a February afternoon. A small flock of goldfinch and a few sparrows chirped amongst the branches, bathing merrily in the 2 p.m. sun. She knew it was 2 o'clock because the red 3D digits of a retro holoclock were projected in the space above the wooden six-panel door opposite her bed. The view overhead was not of lime-green ceiling panels, rather clean sheetrock with a modern ceiling fan that lazily circulated the air. The walls of the room were painted a muted tan, accented with conservative, clean-lined alabaster trim. A pair of enormous orange and green abstract paintings drew the eye, and the floors were shiny, ancient hardwoods, the only obvious indicator of the age of the... house? It must be a house, she thought. And the bed... There were certainly no biobraces holding her in place. It was a queen size with a contemporary dark wood frame that sat low to the floor. She rested upon a feather mattress, surrounded by poofy pillows and silky Egyptian combed hemp sheets that smelled of new-fallen rain. The serenity of the whole experience was surreal. Is this peace? She expected a baton-wielding CNED agent to kick in the door at any minute. A ferocious, robotic fox might burst from the closet and start gnawing on her leg. A security drone might center itself in the window and begin launching botulinum darts at her face. But no. She waited. Still no. None of these things happened. The wind blew lazily without a fare. The birds chirped. The holoclock flipped to 201. On a bedside table to her left was a pitcher of lemon water and three glasses of varying size. She pulled the sheets off and carefully, one at a time, spun her legs over the edge of the bed and touched her bare feet to the floor. Her toes curled at the cold. She had just picked up an empty glass when the door opened abruptly, and a man stepped into the room. Startled, she dropped the glass, eyes wide with fright. It shattered on the wood, and she yanked the sheets back over herself, afraid. The man who had entered was clean-shaven, with a natural olive complexion. As soon as she realized she was not in any immediate peril... Tara's first thought was how ridiculously handsome he was. The man was dressed in a crisp, tan suit. Who wears a suit? Government? No, too stylish. He stared at her with devastating yellow eyes that made her feel both exposed and comfortable, looking like a model from a cologne advertisement in a gentleman's holocene. She was about to ask him just what the dog-damn hell was going on when he smiled and said, Hello, Tara. My name is Doxon Julius Abner. You are in the guest room at my home, 20 kilometers east of Lawrence. 
He held up a finger in a cordial request for silence before she could say anything more and touched the comm bud in front of his ear. Can you please send the clean droid to Miss Dean's room at the conclusion of our visit? His warm yellow eyes again fixed on hers as he said, Thank you, Joan. Tara was alarmed to find herself getting slightly aroused by the plush timbre of this man's voice. Only a total nympho gets turned on three minutes after waking up from a coma. Had she been in a coma? And why wasn't she in control? Tara had been able to turn her sexuality on and off like a light switch since she was 15. Yet here she was, swelling uncontrollably like an 11-year-old girl on her first pony ride. Get it together! She pulled the sheets up a little further and blinked defensively, trying to sound exasperated. I'm sorry, I don't mean to be rude, but who the fuck are you? The man was as sincere in demeanor as he was attractive in appearance, and she could sense that none of it was disingenuous. I told you, Miss Dean, my name is Doxon Abner. You are in my private residence east of Lawrence. We picked you up on the Hover Road 17 days ago in the midst of what can only be described as rather dire circumstances. 17 days, Jesus! There was a contemporary red leather chair positioned conspicuously close to the edge of the bed. He gestured towards it. May I? Yeah, whatever, I guess. She drew her knees closer into her chest, irritated by the fact that she was unable to take her eyes off this man. As he walked closer, he swayed for a moment, as if lightheaded. His smiling, warm eyes stayed fixed on hers. He stood beside her bed without speaking and unbuttoned his jacket. He removed it, folded it carefully over the back of the chair, and sat down. The closer he came, the warmer Tara got. She felt a little lightheaded herself, maybe even stoned. Did they drug me? No, because at the same time she felt remarkably lucid. The strangely handsome, well-dressed man who called himself Doxon sat in the red chair and placed his fingers together in a tent in his lap. Tara was used to men staring at her, but this was different. It was like he was staring through her. A few seconds passed as they studied each other, not speaking. Tara began feeling utterly calm. They must have drugged me. But she was aware of things about this man that she could not possibly know. He was born in London, to parents who immigrated from the Middle East, and... You're Lebanese, she said, frowning as she looked at him. You're 37 years old. You read and write computer language, quantum SO-Lang code? You like chocolate soy milk and... Her eyes grew wide and then she closed them, trying to process the waves of information that began slamming into her brain. Th this is not a farm. It's not a pumpkin farm. There are walls of red eyes underground, a cradle of water, and this is... She winced as if stuck with a needle. The house where you will die? Tara opened her eyes in shock. A tear ran down her cheek, turning a few of her brown freckles black. The sadness that accompanied this last realization was crushing. Jesus fucking Francis, man. Who the sky are you and what the hell is going on? The man's face changed from a smile to sadness. He leaned forward in the red chair. I am so sorry. He reached up and touched his combo. Not now, Joan. Then he reached for her hand. She wanted to draw away, but her fingers wove instinctively through his as though another force compelled her actions. When their fingers touched, the feather bed, the room, the colorful abstract paintings, the blue sky, chirping finches and passing clouds, all fell away. She felt a sense of peace she had never known. 
His skin on hers was like warm soul morphine. He continued at last, a tear falling from his eye. I am Doxon. Yes, spelled D-A-X-A-N-E, but it's pronounced Doxon. That's how your mother intended. Your friends call you Dax for short. They all mispronounce it, and if your mother was here, she wouldn't like that. Another tear fell from his eye, pupils black and big against the now thin outline of gold iris. Good Lord, how do you know this? She wiped her eyes, but the tears kept falling. Fuck if I know, dude. She sobbed with elation. I just woke up here. I don't know where I am, but I do. The cops will be looking for me. I need to go. Oh, Jesus, I should go. I really should float. Just then, a door slammed somewhere in the house. An aggressive clamoring grew louder and louder. Feet on hardwood floors, feet on stairs, many feet moving rapidly closer. Tara screamed, eyes wide as a large black dog burst through the door, turning its head back and forth in a surreal blur of speed between Tara and this man named Doxon. What the dog, damn? Tara shouted, as next a tall bond man in a blue jeans and a red flannel shirt wearing a cowboy hat walked into the room. She pulled the blanket up further. The man looked at Dax with alarm. Boss, you okay? Joan told us you cut the calm and your heart rate was going through the roof. The tall man looked at Tara and smiled. Now I see why. Ew, said Tara, curling her nose. Then both she and Dax rolled their eyes simultaneously as though choreographed. Dax had not moved from her bedside. She was grateful for that. She smiled at him. He continued holding her hand and cocked his head to one side. Taradine, I cannot say it is my pleasure at the moment, but I would nonetheless like to introduce you to my security chief, William Angevine. The tall man in boots, who had been trying not to stare, tipped the brim of his hat. Ma'am? Dax next nodded at the Rottweiler. This beast is... Snotra, said Tara before he could finish. Dax nodded, smiling. Indeed. It's one of the ones from the dark place underground with the water. That is correct. His gaze turned to a disapproving scowl. If you don't mind, William, I am more than fine. You may personally... He turned his chin to the ceiling and spoke slightly louder. Inform Joan that my normal physiological parameters are expanded under the current circumstances, as previously discussed on several occasions. The man with the fuzzy chops could take a hint. He whistled quick and low. The black dog snapped to its feet and trotted out of the room into the hall without a word. The cowboy again tipped his hat at Tara politely, though he looked bewildered. Ma'am. He shrugged at Dax. Sorry, boss. No more interruptions. Thank you, William, said Dax without looking over. The door closed and they listened to the sound of footsteps fading away down the stairs. She waited until the front door of the house closed before saying, Jesus, you got some overzealous staff or what? Her free hand bundled the sheets in a fist as she felt her panic rising again. I mean, I wake up, got cowboys and weird fast dogs kicking the door down. Cops are after me. I know they are. You know they are. It's all too crazy. Tara tried to move off the bed, but he squeezed her hand. You're safe. The press of his skin, the tone of his words stayed her. I promise you're safe, Tara. William, that dog, they're 100% on your side. The police won't come here for you. Neither will see Ned. I promise. Yes, they will, she insisted. You don't know them. This is... Her eyes closed. 
She felt high again with the distraction of the other man gone from the room. Uh, still, you're cooking alcohol here. Her eyes snapped open, pleading. No place could be more dangerous. You don't understand. They will come. You hold my hand, and I know. This is where it will all end. And how do you know my name? Dax sighed. One day, yes, they will come. That is the point. I cannot keep this from you. I cannot keep anything from you. I know your name for a few different reasons. We picked you up on the Hove Road. But now that you are conscious, I know more about you from sitting here in the last five minutes than I ever dreamed. Tara sniffled and wiped her cheeks with the sheet, conspicuously repressing her sudden urge to lean over and kiss this well-dressed man. The sensation was ridiculous. I hate it, but I love it. How do you know more about me than I ever dreamed? Tell me right now, she demanded. Dax put his other hand on top of hers, soft as velvet. I knew details of your personal history before you woke up because I'm a computer hacker, but I didn't know these other things until you looked into my eyes. I know you know what I'm saying, because you feel it too, right? Let me try. He closed his eyes, concentrating. Okay, you like whiskey better than vodka. You only like to get blended during the day when the sun is out. Vaporizing ganja at night makes you paranoid. When you do get high, you like to go to the park and watch kites fly. It reminds you of a childhood friend. Dragon kites are your favorite. You enjoy peppermint tea and your distaste for your mother's curtains. Your distaste for your mother's choice of window treatments was apparently immense. He opened his rich, amber eyes. He was the most beautiful thing she had ever seen. She found herself becoming even more aroused by the heat of his skin. But do you want me to tell you the most important thing I know, Tardine? What's that? I know who you really are. She gave up on resisting. Oh, yeah? I'll believe anything at this point. Who am I, Daxon Julius Abner? Dax was giddy with happiness, averting his eyes from hers momentarily, as though afraid her very glance might wound him. Then he looked back. Your middle initial A is only that in public records. An initial... But it stands for Adler. Dax sat up straight before continuing. You see, Tara, you are the only child of Dr. Marvin Adler, the greatest computer scientist who ever lived, the man who wrote the Adler Code, the sentient operating system for cyborgs. Tara was speechless. Mother lied. She could sense it was true. Her administrators, even beloved Carlyle, had lied to her. All along, they had lied. Her eyes pleaded with Dax as she began to cry again. When I'd ask, later on, grown up a bit, my mom told me my dad just shared the same name with the famous scientist, Marvin Adler, that they both worked in the Graphene Prairie, but in different government divisions, and that they had no connection. She told me that my dad, my Marvin Adler, was a tech consultant for the MTF. Dax laughed openly. A tech consultant? I'm sorry, I don't mean to make light of what you're saying. Tara also found it strangely amusing. <laughs> it's okay. I think we're both high. Possibly so. I suppose that saying your father was a consultant for the Bureau of Marijuana, Tobacco, and Firearms is not entirely inaccurate, though there was only one of him. He's the man responsible for the cyborg that was just standing in this room a few minutes ago. You are his daughter. 
The flood of information filling her mind continued as she considered this. Then the animals on the road, those gray foxes, they weren't foxes. Dax let his hands go and reached for the pitcher of water on the bedside table. She immediately wanted to touch him again, as though some part of her was empty in the absence of his contact. Here, let me pour some water. Dax filled both remaining glasses, then turned back to her and took her hand in his once more. Cheers, he said, raising his glass. To us. She smiled shyly, felt so silly. Sure, okay, to us. She squeezed his hand tighter. Tell me about that gray fox. It was one of those dark pool labs, coyotes, all the conspiracy freaks talk about, wasn't it? Dax frowned slightly. The coyotes are no conspiracy. They were created by your father, and they were the weapon used to murder him. And yes, it was those same coyotes who tried to kill you the other night on the Hove Road. Tara shook her head. I don't think they were trying to kill me. Well, they certainly have an interesting way of communicating that. I, I know, I mean... I don't know for sure, but I feel like they were trying to protect me or communicate. They wanted something desperately, but not my death. Dax pressed her hand. Well, whatever they wanted, I promise I'm not going to let them hurt you again. I meant it when I said you're safe. Tara took a sip of water from her glass and set it on the bedside table, never letting go of Dax's hand. You have more of those robots here. Cyborgs, I mean. Like the coyotes. I can feel it when I touch you. That one that was here, the others, they defend this place. You're still. Please tell me what's going on. Who are you people? I mean, I already know, but how do I already know? Dax leaned forward and kissed her. She opened her mouth and kissed him back. Her tongue found his, and she felt shocks of electricity race down her spine as she pulled him close. She could have kept kissing him for the rest of her life. It was like a first kiss, the last kiss, the only kiss unlike any other kiss she could remember. It was he who suddenly pulled away, his lower lip shaking as he tried to regain his composure. I'm, I'm sorry. It's been a long while. I loved it. Dax smiled coyly. Right. So, that is how I know, he said, leaning back into the chair, still holding her hand. I don't understand. You have always, shall we say, had a way with men, have you not? And a few women? Tara, who was normally not ashamed of anything, blushed. She felt a sudden urge to justify herself. Oh, yeah, no, totally. It's not like I just use it for sex. I mean, I did when I was a kid, but... That's not what I meant, he said calmly. Sexuality is the most basic motivation for everything we do as human beings. It's absolutely normal. But you know very well what I mean, Tardine. You have always been able to get people to do what you want. All you have to do is talk to them. And look them in the eye, of course. Shit, shit, shit. Tara's first inclination was to deny it. Evade, deny. But as she held his hand in hers, she knew there would be none of that here. Yes, she rolled her eyes. I basically just flirt with people, male or female. Ask them for what I want. And they do it. Almost always. Unless they've decided ahead of time they don't like me for some reason. A lot of women don't like me. Some gay men, too. In that case, I have no more ability to influence them than I would a fence post. She looked at him, pleading. What is this? I always thought I was just lucky. Please tell me I'm not crazy. Dax smiled. You are lucky. And not crazy. But you are also a courtesan. A who? A courtesan? She perked up, looking puzzled. Wait. 
You're one, too, courtesan, she sounded it out. Yes, exactly. We are a minuscule subset of humans represented in equal numbers across gender and ethnicity. African, European, Arab, Asian, Latino, Indian. And the saddest part of all is that most of us go through our lives never knowing that others like us exist, just as you did. That is, unless two of us are fortunate enough to come across one another, in which case the allurement begins. If those courtesans are of opposite gender, or of the same sexual orientation, they are bonded to one another for life. Tara swooned. She wanted to feel his mouth on hers again. Allured? I don't know what that means. This is fucking insane. I just met you, and I can't imagine spending another moment without you. Dax again smiled like a schoolboy. I concur. She giggled. You talk funny. So how did you find out? She blinked as the answer came. Oh, your mother. She's in government. No, was. She looked sad as the sensation washed over her. I'm sorry. She was in government. That's true. His expression tightened. She died in the summer of 2073. And yes, she and a few other high-ranking members in government agencies around the world know of the courtesan hypothesis. That's what they call it. We are often recruited as agents for the Mossad, CIA, KGB, MI6, MSS, you stream it. Some of the most successful intelligence operatives and, Dax pressed his own shirt collar with a clever grin, criminals in the world are courtesans. But mostly word of this, even in intelligence circles, is disregarded as an urban myth. It's not like we can fly or shoot lasers from our bums. We can't even read minds, technically. The allurement we are experiencing is more akin to psychological osmosis. We have little control over it in one another's presence. All we are able to do is push our thoughts, our suggestions, onto others. Wait and see what flows back. As I said, you have no doubt always had a way with people. Tara giggled. Some people. When I was 14, I got my geometry teacher to pull down his pants in front of the whole class. He did it. Unfortunately, he didn't snap out of it until a boy sitting next to me screamed once he saw his boxers. Poor bastard got fired, Mr. Delroy. Jesus, I haven't thought of that in ages. I was an evil little girl. Dax began running his hand up and down the back of her arm, causing goosebumps to rise on her flesh. You must be careful with your power, Tyab. I can train you. As you grow stronger, soon no one except the Humdroids will be able to resist your suggestions, whether they want to or not. His voice flowed, warming her skin like summer rain. So, knowing this, knowing what you do, do you think you would like to come work with us, live with us? We sell drugs here, you realize. The best black market vodka in ten states. We're doing this. She liked the sensation of finishing his sentences for him. Not because you need the money, but because it's your moral imperative. Your mother, you, you want to destroy CNED. Her mouth fell open. Jesus, Dax. You want to destroy vision. You want to bring down the architect himself. He's... Everything about him is dark. His truth is dark. Are you all right? Dax was breathing rapidly. A sweat had broken out on his forehead. He sat up and leaned in, putting his hand unannounced on her breast. Her nipple got hard as he moved to kiss her. 
I'm sorry, but I can't take it any longer. I just need to... His mouth met hers, and Tara fell back into bed, ripping open his shirt as she spread her legs and pulled him on top of her by his tie. Oh, fuck me. As you wish. Yes, she breathed. It's exactly as I wish. I need it. She grabbed the fiery hair on either side of his head and pulled his mouth off her neck, forcing him to look at her, pupils dilating. You're mine, Dax Abner. All mine. Forever. Whatever this is, you belong to me now. You understand? Yes. Good. Now put your lips back on my body where they belong. The Lawrence Journal World, Sunday edition, editorial hollow page 3, February 25, 2080. Fair and balanced 10 cent opinions by Martin Ringel, LJW. As our report on the disappearance of fugitive arsonist Tardine continues, local political pundits are making it clear that public opinion on these events remains split along partisan lines. From the progressive end of the spectrum, local CNED director Ken Sappet. So, Martin, in terms of law enforcement priorities, you have a convicted L3 booze bomb wanted for aggravated assault, arson, drug possession, drug use, destruction of public property, and grand theft hover, who's just vanished? The honest law-abiding citizens of this city deserve answers. I say it's time for complete background checks on every elected official associated with this case, starting with Sheriff Proudstar. We have a predictably different statement from Nancy Ferris, who represents the local chapter of the traditionalist-leaning group, the National Organization for the Reform of Alcohol Laws, or NORAL. Martin, it's unfortunate that so many millions of digidollars in public tax revenue have already been spent chasing down one girl who, yes, made a few bad decisions, but at the end of the day is just another victim of the never-ending war on alcohol. While we certainly don't condone violence or arson, you can't help but note that most of the media references to this girl seem to focus on her sexuality or her drinking. All the while, we've got feral cyborgs roaming the countryside, which pose a legitimate threat to our children, our communities, the very North American way of life we all cherish. So is it really a question of priorities, or is it a question of politics as usual? Check back next Sunday. Same hollow page, same column. For ongoing updates in our report on the peculiar, intersecting stories of a discovered wild cyborg, and the ongoing hunt for fugitive arsonist Tardine. Thank you, as always, for reading the Journal World. Sponsored by the Progressive Party of Kansas. This concludes Chapter 2.2 of The Eighteenth Shadow, Phase 2, Voices in the Stream. Please visit johnleegraftonbooks.com to sign up for The Eighteenth Shadow mailing list. On johnleegraftonbooks.com, you can also download the free digital box set containing the first three books in the six-part series, 
The free box set is available in Kindle format as well as Smashwords, Kobo, and Barnes & Noble Nook. Remember, citizens, Kindle isn't just a thing. It's a free app you can put on your phone to start reading the 18th Shadow box set today. Prefer paperback like it's 1981? Visit Prospero's Books at 1800 West 39th Street in Kansas City, Missouri, where every phase of the 18th Shadow is available built of glue, ink, and compressed dead trees, the way books were meant to be read by real North Americans. Until next time, this is your author and narrator, John Lee Grafton, reminding you to spay and neuter your pets. And remember, if it's not cannabis, kids, don't smoke it. This has been a public service announcement of the 18th Shadow Radio. For more information, please visit johnleegraftonbooks.com.